John chapter 12, starting at verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Let's go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for your truth. Father, we do pray that you would give us discernment and wisdom through the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Help us to know your truth, be made alive, and to live according to your will. Father, we pray that you will guide us in this time. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Again, if you'd like to follow along on the back of your bulletins, there's an outline with some of the texts I'm going to be citing as we walk through this passage of Scripture. Ultimately, there are two decisions, and we all must decide on one of these, and we are faced with this in the Scripture text. Whose glory do we desire most? Whose glory? Do you desire the praise and the glory that comes from God? Or do you desire the praise and glory that comes from a boss or a co-worker or a friend or a spouse or someone on this earth? Where do you find your main hope and desire? Where do you seek your glory? That's what we're confronted with in this passage And Jesus is modeling for us what it is that our our complete desire, our all in all, that our hopes, our dreams, our passions, that everything would be fixed on the will of our Heavenly Father. And that that is where we seek our glory and our praise to come from. Again, we're seeing this theme as we approach Easter Sunday, next Sunday, this theme is this, is if you want to live well now on this heaven and earth, then our eyes better be fixed on Christ and glory. That seems a bit strange. That seems a bit strange. I've done a lot of backpacking and hiking, and I'll be leading a crew up in the mountains, and they'll be hiking along, and this always happens, especially some crew that aren't, are new to being out in the woods and out to the beautiful scenery. And you'll have a little camper Timmy or little camper Tommy, and we'll be hiking along, and they'll be looking oh, at the beautiful scenery. And they're not watching where they're stepping. So they're just looking at the beautiful scenery, and what happens? Boom. Eventually they trip and fall, and, and you've got to help them up. But here we see in the Scripture, if you want to keep from tripping and falling, your eyes aren't fixed on this heaven and earth. Your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Your eyes are fixed on His glory. Your eyes are fixed on His Word. Your eyes and your heart, your dreams and desires are all hungering for His Word and His truth. So eyes fixed on Christ enables your feet to go where they need to go. Enables your heart to desire what it should desire. And it is what helps us keep from tripping and falling and stumbling through distraction and temptation and sin and all the different things that entangle us and snare us. So again, we see the theme of this chapter is where are your eyes fixed? Where is your heart fixed? What is your main desire? And as we enter into this passage, we see in 
verse 23, where Jesus makes clear, Jesus makes clear that now finally his hour has come. So this is the time. This is the moment that his hour has come. Throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen where they were gathering around to stone him, or they're gathering around to take him by force, or they're gathering around, whether it be the Pharisees or scribes or the religious leaders, were trying to put it into him. But again and again, it made clear that his hour had not yet come. And because it was not his hour, he would just slip through and pass through. And they couldn't arrest him. They couldn't do anything. Because remember, who's sovereign? Who's in control? It is the Father. It is the Father. So we see now at this moment, Jesus has made clear that now his hour has come. Now he will be arrested. Now he will be beaten. He will have an unjust false trial. And he will be crucified as a criminal. The worst type of criminal. That is what lays before him. He knows this. And that's why in our text he says he is troubled. He is troubled. But when Jesus faces trouble, when Jesus, he has his eyes fixed on his heavenly Father and on the will of the Father, but when he is troubled, does that trouble lead him to disobedience? No. That's what he says. Even though I'm troubled, will I, will I say no to this? No, no. Your will be done. Your will be done. So a part of this seeking glory that comes from God or seeking the praise of God or seeking after God more than anything else is understanding that ultimately what gives us the most pleasure, what gives us the most peace, what gives us the most joy is to put all our trust and all our obedience and all our life and everything into the hands of our Heavenly Father. Just give it over. Give it to Him. Let Him have it. That's what we're seeing here. So this is this trust, and we're going to see where Jesus is doing that, and Jesus speaks to us to do that. And we see the consequences when we don't do that. Would we still want to be Lord of our own life when we still want to be in control of our own life? When we want to be God over our own life? So that's kind of the two choices. Either you can let God be God over your life or you can give it a try. Woo! I'd let him do it. I'd let him do it. So we're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture where ultimately when we realize that he is God and we're not, that is a good place to start when we surrender over to Jesus. So as we look at this, as I said, in verse 23, we see where Jesus makes clear, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Son of Man to be glorified. Now this is just after everyone wove their palm branches and put down their cloaks and they shouted, Hosanna, 
They lifted him up as the king coming, the descendant of David, the promised one coming in the name of the Lord. So they're giving him praise and honor and glory and all this. But Jesus doesn't place the ultimate glory that he's going to experience in that. No, his eyes are fixed on the cross, not on the fickle praise of the crowd. His eyes are fixed on the cross. We see this earlier in John, John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching in the temple treasury. Remember, one of the reasons why the religious leaders were so upset is he came in and he overturned the tables. And he said how you've turned the temple into a place of commerce and extortion and robbing from the people rather than a place of worship and prayer to God. So in John 8, you find Jesus teaching at the temple next to the treasury, the place of the power of the chief priests and the scribes and those who were there at the temple. This was their power base, this financial base. So he's teaching right there, and they would love to get rid of him, but it says his hour had not yet come. And then he says this in John 8, Verses 19 through 21, he says, I am going to go away. But where I go, you cannot come. Where I go, you cannot come. You will die in your sins. This is pronouncement of judgment. Jesus speaks. You cannot come. Because to follow Jesus means to believe in Him, to trust in Him, to surrender your life over to Him, to admit that you can't save yourself, to admit that you can't be your own God, to admit that you need God's forgiveness and love and grace. And that's what it means to be made alive, is that trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We see in this section of John 12, right before I read, we see where Jesus is coming. He comes in the name of the Lord. He's being pronounced as the king of Israel. And the Pharisees are upset. It says they're so upset. This is the, this is the line they say. They say this. They said, don't you see? The whole world is following after him. They see their power eroding away as everyone is clamoring and lifting up the name of Jesus, and it brings jealousy and anger. Because they weren't receiving the praise anymore. They weren't receiving the glory. Rather than their power and their prestige and their fame, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus being lifted up. And they were losing all their earthly glory and power and fame. That's why Jesus warned them in John 8. As long as you, as long as your life is based on whatever earthly praise and earthly glory and earthly pride that you have, you cannot follow Jesus Christ. And you will die in your sins. So that's where we see in John 12, he says, my hour has come. He's going toward the cross. 
Again, in John 13, right after this passage, again, this framing of the hour, he says, again, my hour has come. It is time that Jesus says that he goes out of this world and returns back to the Father. But the good news is this. Jesus loved those who were in the world, and he loves them to the end. Again, the cross is what is set before him. We see where he asked the Father to glorify his name, and that's where we hear the Father's voice. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Everything is for the Father's glory. Everything. That's what we're looking at when we're studying the Reformation, 500 years of the Reformation. And we looked at the solas, that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And what is the purpose of all this? Is that God would receive all the glory. That he would be glorified. That he would be lifted up. And wherever the church has or continues to fall into air is whenever the church in any way seeks for itself to be the glory or receive the power and glory rather than continually giving that power and glory and praise over to God and him alone. So we see where Jesus is ultimately glorified in his death. He says this in verse 24. He says, A seed must die and be planted to bear much fruit. Jesus must die. That's how bad sin is. That's how holy and just God is. There must be a death. The judgment on sin is death. And that must be paid. So either we pay it, or we say, Jesus, you pay it for me. That's our choices again. Are you going to try to be the one that pays that penalty? Well, that, to pay that penalty means eternal death. Where we can give that over to Jesus and the death he faced on the cross, he pays for it, and you can receive forgiveness and life, eternal life. And that's what he says in verse 24 of John 12. He says, the seed must die and be planted to bear much fruit. And we understand that Jesus, by dying on the cross, by taking the sin of those who believe in him, and by, by receiving the wrath that we deserved from his heavenly Father, that by going into the ground, he is planted in his obedience, in his faithfulness. And on the third day, when he raises from the dead, glorious. That's where your life is found. That's where your life is found. And that's where we see the crop of untold numbers of believers who will come because Jesus was planted in faithfulness and raised to new life. But then verse 25, this is, this is a powerful one. Verse 25 is kind of the focus of this passage. Because Jesus is so willing to give up everything, to come to humble himself. Philippians makes a good illustration of that, that he, he so humbles himself to take the form of a human and to die this humiliating death on the cross. So if Jesus is so willing to lose everything, to give up everything for complete obedience to the Father and in love for us to have salvation 
then he calls us to the same. And that's where verse 25, this is kind of the central focus of this entire passage of Scripture. Verse 25 is a powerful one. It says, the man who loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We see the same passage in a a little different way in Luke 14. In Luke 14, Jesus says this, If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, then you must hate, is the word, your father or your mother or your wife or your children, your brothers or your sisters, even your own life. You must pick up your own cross and follow him. And then Jesus says, count the cost. This is a very different evangelistic call than what we see nowadays. Jesus just makes that statement that your love for him, in comparison to your love for Jesus Christ, every other relationship or every other desire would be like hate compared to your full fixed devotion to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ says, count the cost. Count the cost. Know what this means. We are saved by a free gift, but that free gift will cost you your life. It costs you everything. And that's why he says, count the cost. Count the cost. Jesus is extending you the only way of salvation, the only peace, the only joy, the only hope. But he says, know this. A part of believing and following is dying. So he's calling you to die. Just as Jesus is fixed at this time in John 12, his hour has come. He is fixed toward the cross to die on the cross for our sins. Here we see where Jesus is calling each and every one of us. As if to say, your hour has come. So what are you going to do? Are you going to choose to pick up your cross and follow Christ, knowing that he has paid it all, that he has won the victory over sin and death, that he provides the way of salvation and life? Or are you going to still cling and hold on to this sin or this desire, this thing on earth, or, or this pride or this issue? You're not willing to let go of that. For Jesus Christ. So we see where Jesus receives his glory in his death. And Jesus invites us. You want to partake in his glory? Then die. Die to yourself. Because in dying to yourself, you find life. Real life. True life. And that's where we see the Son of Man is glorified when he fulfills God's purposes. When he fulfills God's purposes. In verse 31 of our passage, John 12, he says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Hallelujah. We see where Jesus on the cross is going to win victory over sin, 
victory over the grave and his resurrection, and victory over the devil. No more. No more do you have to fear the devil if you are in Jesus Christ. The blood that he shed on that cross gives you full forgiveness and full protection. And when the devil continues to prowl or to roar at you, all you have to say is, I'm in Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the faith. And what does the Bible say he will do? He will flee from you. That's the victory. That's the victory we have in Jesus Christ. We see where the ruler of this world, the devil, Satan, is judged. Because ultimately the cross shows his defeat. It is over for him. Jesus makes this very clear. He makes this very clear when he talks about being lifted up. Verse 32. Here's where he makes so explicit that he's going to be crucified. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's it. That's it. It doesn't matter what language, what tribe, what people group, what nation. It doesn't matter what, what sin you've committed. It doesn't matter how far you've went from God. If you would turn to Jesus Christ and say, I, I believe, I trust. You're saved. You're justified. You're made right. This takes you back to the Old Testament. This lifted up. This is when the, when the Israelites are out. God has just freed them from Egypt. And they're out there and they start grumbling. Oh, grumble. Oh, things are hard. Oh, I don't like this food. Oh, they're grumbling. And what does God do? He sends all these snakes. Start biting the people. People are falling all over the place. Snakes biting them, laying all over, crying out, Moses, help us. So God says to Moses, he says, Moses, you make a bronze serpent and you put it on a pole and you raise that pole up and you tell them those who will turn and look on that, they'll be healed. They'll be healed. So Moses does that, makes it, they raise up the serpent on the pole and these people laying all about, bit by these serpents, the venom literally taking their life from them. Those who would turn their heads and look at that and believe, healed, saved. That's what we're seeing here. Every single one of us from the moment of our conception is conceived in the sin. We are all in the sin of Adam, passed down. So every one of us has been bit by the serpent. All of us has sin. All of us deserve death. Yet that's the free gift of God. That's the love of God. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do. Because when we're not saved, we are dead. It's awfully hard to get a dead person to do anything, let alone save themselves. But here we see where the gospel call is lifted out. Just like those Israelites bit by the serpents, if we just turn our eyes upon Jesus and believe and trust in him, 
we find healing, and we find salvation. That is the gift of God's grace and mercy on us. But in the midst of this good news that we see here in verses 23 through 34, this good news where Jesus says he's lifting up, that he's going to give glory to the Father, and and he calls us to die to ourselves and pick up our crosses and follow him and know his grace and know his forgiveness, we see where verses 35 through 43 give a warning. They give a warning. Because what we need to do is love God's glory, but sadly, there are many who will love man's glory more. So this is the warning. That's why in verses 35 and 36, he gives this warning. He says, walk in the light. He's telling those while he is still on that earth, before he goes to the cross, he says, walk in the light. Look to me. Believe in me. Jesus Christ is the light. He's the only light in the midst of the darkness. He is the only one who will guide you out of the darkness into salvation. So that's why he says in verse 35, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And then verse 36, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. We see this earlier in the scriptures where Jesus makes clear that he is the light of the world. He is the one sent to shine the love and grace and goodness of God into a dark world so that we could see the way of salvation through him. But even in the midst of this, we see the warnings of Isaiah about the hardness of heart. And then we see this description of verses 42 and 43 that show where Isaiah's prophecies are being fulfilled. This, again, is one of these grievous moments in Scripture. You have the moment with the rich young ruler. Remember him? He comes to Jesus and he says, Oh, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, Oh, have you followed the the commandments. And he says, I have since I was a child. And Jesus looks at him. He looks right into him and he says, one thing, sell all that you have, all those riches, all that power that for you is your life. Die to that and follow me. And it said, the rich young ruler went away sad. He just couldn't let go of that. He couldn't give it up. So that's what we see here. It says this in 42. Another one of these sad moments. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Because if they confessed it, they'd be sent out of the synagogue. They'd lose their positions of power and privilege and their their community. I mean, they would lose everything for Jesus. And here it says they just weren't willing to go that far, to lose that much for Jesus. And why, and this is verse 43, 
because they love the glory from man more than the glory from God. It's an amazing thing to travel the world. You travel the world and you go to these places and you see some of these monuments. You see some of these statues. You see some of these, some of these edifices built to give glory to man. To give glory to man. And it only takes a few thousand years until these things start falling into dust. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. If that's your treasure, that's your hope. The glory that comes anything from man, the glory that comes in any way from this heaven and this earth, it isn't worth it because it doesn't last. Oh, even if it lasts a hundred years, what's a hundred years with eternity? Even if it lasts thousands of years, what's a thousands of years compared to eternity? It's nothing. So that's where Jesus is trying to get our attention fixed. So that's my hope and prayer is that we do not in any way take away from the glory of Jesus Christ, but we give Him all the glory. To give Jesus all the glory means we admit that sin is that bad. That the consequences of sin is death. To give Jesus the glory is to admit that God is that holy and that we deserve His wrath. To give God all the glory is to say that when he hung on that cross and he took our sin and he bore the wrath of his heavenly father, that he was forsaken on our behalf. It was that painful and that costly. He gave everything. To give Jesus the full glory means we admit that he is alive, that he won the victory over the devil. He won the victory over sin. He won the victory over death. And he's coming back. And to give Jesus all the glory is to say and to admit and lift up that he is the only way, truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way of life and salvation than through Jesus Christ. And to ultimately give Jesus all the glory and all the honor is to bow are me before him and say you are my king you are my lord i give you my life why i'm not good at being god i really fail miserably at being god in my own life but i encourage you here there is a god who is perfect we see him in jesus christ Let him have your life. Because then you'll know what life is all about. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are that good. That you would send your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that as he faced his hour, when he would go to the cross, even with a troubled, troubled heart. He remained obedient. He never sinned. He never looked for his own, but he always looked completely 
to the Father's will. Help us to do the same, Lord. And Father, we pray for forgiveness for all those times and in the midst of temptation, we, we sought the glory from other people rather than yours. Father, we thank you that you are gracious, that you forgive, and that you empower us to do the miraculous, to pick up our cross and follow you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.